Inside the halls of American hospitals, millions of people find comfort, healing, and support. But for many doctors and nurses, this couldn't be further from the truth. This podcast will dive into the shadows of American healthcare to investigate and uncover the abuse, control, and political power plays that leave the very people responsible for our nation's health broken and battered. We're sharing stories of professionals in medicine that have experienced horrendous treatment at the hands of a broken system that does nothing to stop the trauma. As the Association of American Medical Colleges states, long before the Me Too movement, women in medicine have instinctively banded together to counter a culture that too often tolerated harassment. From systemic trauma to abusive power to the unspoken rules of cover-ups and corruption, Mandy, Irby, and Pinky will take you to the darkest corners of healthcare in America so you can have an inside look at bringing humanity back to medicine. Sensitive content warning. This podcast will share details of triggering subjects such as sexual assault and workplace violence. So if you aren't in a space to listen, respect your mental health and tune in again at another time. Hey, welcome back to the Pulse Check Podcast. My name is Mandy. I'm Hee And today we have two guests. We are talking about nurse whistleblowers and retaliation claims. We're really stoked about it. So I want to introduce you, just getting right on into it, because I know we're going to have a lot to talk about. We have with us Sarah and Marion. Hi, both of you are nurses. Are you both on the West Coast? No. I'm on the East Coast. I'm in I'm in New England right now. Okay. I'm on the West Coast. And Sarah's on the West Coast. Okay, great. Thank you so much. So just the only background that I have today, this is this is how it happened. So if you're like, oh, this podcast magic. No, I watch TikTok all the time. You all know that. He he and I are both on TikTok. We watch all the time. And now I use it as my search engine. Find like need to fix something or like make a recipe. I just go to TikTok. <laughs> and Sarah comes up on my for you. And I'm going to tell you my for you page is, is so good. <laughs> right now. It's so good right now. I think my for you page is trauma aware and knows me. And so we're trying to today on the podcast, I think we're all as nurses, hopefully learning to unlearn, get our heads wrapped around the power and abuse dynamic and patterns and not continue to protect abusers. So Sarah pops up and she's like, Hey, I've got COVID and I don't have a filter. And I'm like, Oh my God, what's happening? (laughs) She said, I'm getting retaliation abuse from my healthcare, like my hospital, because I spoke out about short staffing and nursing patient ratios. And so I'm like, Hey, I like go, we do all the things. So like, I go like a bunch of our videos after I watch all of them, I'm commenting. And then I get right into her DMS. I'm like, Hey, I'm a stranger. I don't know you, but I want to talk to you more. You want to get on my podcast? She goes, yes. And I have a friend I'm going to bring named Marion. I was like, Oh my gosh. So I would love to hear, tell the audience a little bit, Sarah, about your story that I saw on TikTok and then how are you and Marion connected and what's going on right now? I want to hear what's going on with Marion because you're like in it right now. Yeah. Okay. So oh, I don't even know where to start. I have been an ICU nurse, I think since 2014, I have been a nurse since 2004, worked for that hospital system for five years before I was terminated, had all very positive performance reviews and never had a corrective action whatsoever. I do a union coordinated interview with the local media and I discuss short staffing and how it's affecting the patients. And I get put on an administrative leave. I am on administrative leave for four months and then I am terminated. So it has been, it's been a journey. It's been a journey. And to go into details is just to open a whole can of worms. Yeah. <laughs> and so I kind of wait for people to ask me questions, like specific questions before I just like, you know, blah it out because okay. otherwise I overshare. <laughs> Let me just say that after I was terminated, I of course had internet searching anybody else who has gone through retaliation. And one of the first things that pop up 
from the same hospital system is Marion, except her case is in Alaska and she is a travel nurse, but terminated for the same reasons, basically. And so let's see, how did I find you, Marion? Was it Twitter? I think, I think you did find me on Twitter. I don't know. I think you found, did you find the article when KRBD posted about it or, or something like that? You saw like a news story on my case. Yeah. So I was Googling retaliation, hospitals, nurses, and found the article. And then I got your name from the article and then went to social media and that's yeah. all. I- yeah. I think it was Twitter. Yeah. I feel like I haven't been back to Twitter in some time. <laughs> <laughs> And so I think that's a good intro for Marion's story. Uh, yeah, that's great intro. So you found Marion and you responded, Marion. Yeah. So basically I started an assignment at Peace Health Ketchikan Medical Center, August 19th, 2021. I extended, I did an eight week extension off of my original 13 week contract. And then the the timeline is so tight. <clears throat> On August 18th of 2021, I signed a... 17-week extension. Clearly, they were pleased with my ability to care for their patients. On Mm -hmm. August 19th, I voiced uh, patient and staff safety concerns related to COVID-19 patients and COVID-19 hazards. On August 20th, it was Caregiver Appreciation Day. They thanked me for extending and asked me what it would take to convince me to stay full-time. And then six hours later, the Director of Critical Care Services threatened my job. Mm -hmm. Following that, I filed a patient safety incident report specific to the safety issues involving the patients and specific to the inadequate monitoring of critically ill COVID-19 ICU patients. I filed an ethics complaint on the threatening phone call where an administrator threatened my job, you know, in response to my voicing these concerns. And a couple of days later, because that, of course, was a weekend, and we all know there's no administrators in the building on the weekend. I came back to work on Monday. I worked a full shift without incident. And on Tuesday, I was terminated. And then my fight began. (laughs) I filed Mm. with OSHA, dual federal and state whistleblower complaints the next day on August 25th. I filed up with, I'm not going to get into the CMS side of things right now. I filed up with the National Labor Relations Board. Incidentally, we just resolved that as of yesterday. Rather favorable to me. They've had to, there is a public posting that will go up all over their facility for 60 days. It'll be on their internet. They will be required to mail it to every employee that worked there when they terminated me. They are specifically required to mail it to every travel nurse. That language is very specific from the NLRB. They are assigned a compliance officer that will ensure that they comply with the demands of the NLRB. They had to pay me back pay, front pay on the contract that they did not honor in lieu of reinstatement. So it's kind of it's kind of a big win, actually, especially for travel nurses who think that they can be fired for any reason. And you can. You absolutely cannot be fired in violation of federal and state laws, you know, and I think a lot of hospitals just aren't. They're not paying attention to that. Nurses are afraid to fight back. And I'm just trying to forge a path to show everyone how to do it. And then Sarah and I joined forces basically as our sole sort of kind of support and, you know, for each other, because it's been isolating. It's been emotionally traumatizing. It's been a roller coaster. I'm You know, I was supposed to be testifying today, but what can happen with the NLRB is they can settle something in a favorable, you know, settlement in lieu of testifying if they, you know, if they feel that the terms are fair. So it's just been an emotional up and down. You know, I was in witness prep for weeks, you know, (laughs) and I still have an active OSHA investigation. And all I can say currently is I am pursuing every avenue of recourse to hold them accountable for every single federal and state law that they violated when they silenced a nurse trying to advocate for her patients and herself, you know, and others. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Congratulations. Are you able to share some of the language around the posting that they have to post? Oh, here. Yeah. Let me pull it. Yeah. Let me pull that. And I should send that to you guys. It's, it's so nice. You know, it's got the big blue and white heading of the National Labor Relations Board. It's just, it's so nice. You Are you talking about, oh yeah, so the notice to employees that's going to go up with all the official stamps, it goes over the usual stuff like we will not interfere with, restrain, or coerce you and the exercise of your above rights to 
basically engage in protected concerted activities, right? But the specific ones that are going to go up that everybody will read says, we will pay Marion Weber, who has waived her right to reinstatement, front pay equivalent to the wages she would have earned from the completion of a 17-week contract that we terminated before it began. We will reimburse Marion Weber for any wages and benefits she lost, as well as any consequential damages she incurred, including those in regard to travel, lodging, and moving prior to the end of her contract because we terminated her contract. We will remove from our files any references to the involuntary separation of Marion Weber, and we will notify her in writing that this has been done and that her separation will not be used against her in any way. <laughs> when you sent that to me, I read it like five times, just kind of cackling. Yeah. <laughs> what a huge win. Like, yeah, that yeah. Is such a huge win. Where do yeah. they have to post that? They are directed to post it in prominent places throughout the facility. They also have to conduct meetings where they read the notice to their yeah. <laughs> I can imagine just sitting on the pot being like, everything yeah, that's where they post. Read. Yeah, they consider prominent places the bathroom. The toilet. Place. That's where we read the signs anyway. <laughs> the back of the door. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's where you read it. And so you're going to be sitting there. <laughs> Marion, they just paid Marion. Wow, <laughs> who's Marion? Marion RN. <laughs> I think everybody there knows knows who Marion is. Yeah, yeah. I've done a lot of I've done a lot of news. You know, just interestingly, just to tell you guys, I went public on September 24th with a local news station. I did a radio interview, and they posted an article. And four days later, the administrator that terminated me abruptly resigned and left the island. She abruptly resigned and left the island. <laughs> okay, so if that doesn't make like a very public I'm embarrassed by my actions or I can't cover up my actions. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I have so many questions. But so you went public, which yeah. is totally against everything that we're told to do. So right now I'm in the birth space. He's in the birth space. I'm attempting to highlight, portray, show, depict the similarities between working in healthcare and abusive relationships and how, when I left, yeah, right. When I left the hospital and I'm talking to my therapist, I'm like dumping all of this stuff. And I'm like, where to begin? I said, I feel like I'm unpacking 80 abusive relationships, you know, learning about trauma, teaching about trauma. And now I'm trying to like embody it and walk the walk. I'm like, ah, fuck. Like, ah, these are all professional relationships getting into it. We're like perfect prey for, you know, we're a type nurses are a type. We're also made to be a type. That's also part of the coercion, part of the manipulation, control, and power that's within all of those either systemic relationships or interpersonal relationships as you're witnessing and feeling during this process, going public is almost the opposite of what we've been told to do and what we've been trying to do since the beginning of nursing. I've always protected the abuse, covered Mm -hmm. it up and been quiet about it and been gaslit about it and been taught to receive it in nursing school. This is how it's all worked this whole time. So the fact that you join forces together to support each other isn't revolutionary, but it should be talked about because that's like he, he and I introduced you backstage before we started recording. That's what we do in our business. That's how we are business people. We are bringing on teams. We are working collaboratively with other powerhouse individuals that support us because for me as a nurse, that's not where I came from. So I don't know what that looks like or feels like. I just have to like, like you said, forge, forge my own path. It's very isolating. Very isolating. Yeah. So yeah. In your experience in speaking out, did you already have a lawyer before you did that? No, I did not. I couldn't find one. Neither did Sarah. Yeah. Because that's the tricky part. That's one of the tricky parts. One is like being courageous enough to talk about it and be on top of all of the lies, the gaslighting, the, I mean, they told you all kinds of shit, I'm sure. 
or gave you papers or dismissed you in ways that was like, this is a secret. <laughs> Did so they do that? For me, they yeah. definitely, I feel, use tactics in order to make sure that I wouldn't talk about it. I recognize that. And that's why I did. I was like, no, you're not going to, you're not going to do this. And that's why I decided to talk about it publicly because I just, I recognize that as such a, you know, oh, if, if we do it this way, then she's not going to want to talk about it. It's, it's like an abusive relationship, any sort of relationship that you're in, you can almost like identify what they're going to say and know that they're saying it because it's important. Mm-hmm. And so if you flip it, it hurts. Yeah. But what they don't it, realize though, what they don't realize is that you are protected. That is protected speech. When you engage in informing the public, I definitely miss my calling. I think I'm an excellent nurse and I'm committed to nursing, but this is why I'm pivoting to law school. But, you know, when you are alerting the public to matters of public interest that jeopardize their safety, you know, practices that are going on, you are, that is technically protected speech, but people don't realize that. Now, Sarah and I share a lot with a doctor who was terminated at Peace Health, Dr. Ming Lin, whose case went viral in 2020. And they attacked him for going to social media to complain about lack thereof of safety protocols and EE, you know, in the height of the pandemic. And they said he violated their social media policy. There is a great article that can point you to how that speech is actually protected. For me, when I decided to go public, it's because the connection, you know, the connection that the hospital doesn't want you to make in a very public manner is that when they silence us, it creates an unsafe environment for everyone. And ultimately, it's the communities that we serve that pay the price. It's the patients that pay the price. So it's not that they just got rid of a squeaky wheel or an annoying travel nurse or a nurse that's really concerned about patient safety. They violated the trust between their system and the community that they serve. And so, you know, in my particular case, we're talking about the failure to adequately monitor ICU patients when you had readily available ICU resources, but you chose not to use them. So for me, it was like, I, I, ha- I had no choice but to go public because it's a small hospital. It's the only hospital on this island. So if you work at the hospital, you can't go down the road and work at another hospital. So these employees are working under fear of constant retaliation for doing their jobs of being good patient and nurse advocates. And the community needed to be aware that this practice endangered their safety. So that was it. I was on a public mission from then on to highlight and connect the dots for the community to get them to understand what we do as nurses and how every little thing impacts their outcome and the decisions that hospitals make And we haven't gotten to the motivation as to why they put those patients in med surge rooms when they had empty ICU rooms. I'm still trying to find out the motivation behind that decision. I think the public is owed an answer. Why would you jeopardize a patient's safety when you had resources that were available and you weren't using? Those conversations should not take place behind closed doors between attorneys in an attempt to settle something. Those conversations need to be out in the public and everybody needs to be aware of the risk and the costs associated with it. So yeah. Me and Sarah versus a Goliath peace health right now, you know, <laughs> but it's not just us because there's, there's more, there's, yeah, more. there's more coming. There's more filings from other people coming. Yeah. It's not just peace health. Oh no, no. It's they're, everywhere. They're not yeah. in a silo. They're just one of them. Yeah. And maybe I shouldn't say this, but they, seem to have a lot of cases in the news yeah right now they probably have (laughs) the most retaliation cases against them so we'll just continue to see as those grow yeah and it's a possibly a snowball we'll never know do they have more cases than anyone else or is it a strength in numbers and the work that y'all are doing yeah i guess yeah. The work y'all are doing <laughs> in the public eye where we're like, it's always felt like this. Many of us are sitting here, you know, like stewing underneath and we don't have the language. We don't know the law. We don't know how to get into it. We've never seen it done. They've told us not to. We're products of abuse everywhere in our lives. Yeah. Right. We've never done this before anywhere in our life. We wouldn't do it to the Goliath. Right. You just said like they have built up this impossible, impenetrable outer shell 
and you're doing it. And so while the door's open, everybody needs to just go do it. That's but right. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're the worst. <laughs> it just means the doors. Are oh, open. no, no, it's systemic. As a travel nurse, I'm uniquely positioned as far as I've worked yeah. in hospitals across the country. I can tell you, I have yet to really encounter one that doesn't engage in some sort of retaliatory unsafe practice. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Marion, I wanted to dive into when you said that patients in the community were paying the price because not all of our listeners are in healthcare. When you have nurses and providers who are working in a system that doesn't make them feel safe, or they are coming to work every day fearful that their job is going to be retaliated against, just share a little bit about what is the community looking, you know, to as far as that compromised care. I think a lot of listeners might be like, I went to the doctor during COVID and didn't feel unsafe to me. It's probably not apparent to you as a consumer sitting in that bed. So Sarah, Marion, what kind of prices are communities paying for this? Well, let's talk about what is the worst case scenario when you are unable to effectively advocate for your patient's safety. It can lead to harm and or death. I mean, when we're talking about this, it's important to keep that in mind. So the message to patients is we will endeavor to engage in a nationwide education campaign because I feel it's necessary to show you that if I'm saying by placing you in a room, an ICU level patient, just to give you an example, mm -hmm. in a room where you cannot be effectively monitored, you could die as a result. And if I'm saying, hey... This is not a safe scenario. Let's explore a safer option. And I'm being terminated by voicing that concern. The patient is still in an unsafe position and it's not being addressed. When they terminate somebody or retaliate in some form, it does create this chilling effect that spreads out across the hospital. So nurses become, and healthcare workers, doctors, respiratory therapists, your nurses aides, everyone becomes more afraid to actually voice safety concerns and thereby jeopardizing the patient's safety. And that could lead to a bad patient outcome, again, which could be physical, emotional, mental harm, and, you know, God forbid, death you know, as a result of not timely addressing safety issues. And I don't think that patients understand that a lot of, we, you know, we're not just there to follow orders that are given to us by a doctor. We're there as part of an interdisciplinary team. We're highly skilled, highly educated. We use critical thinking skills to identify inherent risk. You know, we trend, you know, vitals. We watch very closely to see if patients are deteriorating to prevent further deterioration. And anytime that we are kept from doing this, like in Sarah's case, mentioning unsafe staffing ratios, if you can't take care of your patient adequately, who pays that price? Well, the patient does. Yeah. I feel like what I've been watching happen throughout my whole career is healthcare workers becoming desensitized to conditions that are appalling and you know, just getting beat down. Like why complain about it? Because nothing's going to happen. Why say anything? Because it just paints a target on your back. It just feels like we are a bunch of beaten down, desensitized people at this point that are working in a broken system where we see failures happen on a day-to-day -day basis and nobody speaks up. And it's scary. It's frightening. It's frightening for our patients, for the thought of ourselves becoming sick or our families becoming sick and needing healthcare services. Yeah. Shit, that's all kinds of trauma layered on top of each other because you're mm -hmm. seeing it and you're living it. Especially my work in perinatal healthcare, we're witnessing trauma, we're experiencing trauma all at the same time. Yeah, I think you're totally right. Desensitized to appalling conditions, desensitized to abuse and neglect, desensitized to short staffing. And we can see it happen. I mean, outside now, nursing friends will call me, will say like, they call me every Wednesday. On this Wednesday, they had this number of patients to take care of. And three Wednesdays later, they're like, they told me that was a one time. Now it's just a normal thing. Now it's just a normal thing. What are we going to do? Now it's just a four Wednesdays after that. They're like, motherfucker, <laughs> if I did not get one more patient again today. And I said, this was the last time. And like, what's the recourse? This is the last time. They're like, well, we'll just try it again. And it's since COVID, it's just like, everyone, yeah, 
everyone can see it and it's very clear. But again, what's happening? We don't feel like there's any recourse. Your stories, I think, are so hugely powerful because, well, one, we have information on what to do and how to do it. And two, we can see what happens when it's successful. Yes. And when it positively impacts the community because of education, positively impacts other nurses because they can do their job, maybe things change, maybe they've just seen the story work and hopefully positively impact you because of all of this, like Marion said, it's emotional, it's isolating, it's traumatizing, it's work and it's unpaid. And, you know, Sarah shares in this experience, she, I don't want to, I don't want to speak to anything that's going on, like, you know, within your family dynamic, but she'll understand where I'm going with this. You know, when I witnessed this total breakdown between a healthcare delivery system on this island and the community it serves, I didn't just witness it as a nurse. I have stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I was diagnosed with cancer in 2014. So I'm witnessing this as a patient. And the idea that if I'm placed in a situation where I cannot advocate for myself, and I've had life-changing cancer surgery, where I was on an OR table for six hours and came out with a devastating diagnosis. If I'm in a position where I can't advocate myself, I inherently know that my nurses that are doing total body 24 seven care are not advocating for me either out of fear of retaliation. It's a complete betrayal and breakdown. So even as a patient, I have no confidence going into the medical system that I'm being adequately cared for and that people are intentionally and willfully being set up for failure. And then the nurses are burnt out and bitter and they're not speaking up, even though technically we are mandated reporters of unsafe conditions. So from a patient standpoint, it's absolutely devastating. You know, I don't want to cause any trauma, but other patients need to get this at a visceral level like I do and understand the connection between the the systemic failures that could lead to my unfortunate and early demise if that were to ever happen. I just need them to make those connections to understand how serious and significant these issues are. Mm-hmm. Marion and I have had a lot of discussions on, you know, how do we engage the public about the healthcare system is nobody thinks about it until a loved one or themselves are in the hospital. And then they're like, what's going on here when, you know, we're screaming about it from the sidelines. And Mm -hmm. it, it is very frustrating to watch that, you know, it, it just doesn't seem to matter until they're in that position and it's too late to do anything about it then. And then they forget when they leave the hospital. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a frustrating position to be in. Yeah. We talked about this recently on a recent podcast with Dr. Chrissy Sheeler, who's a family medicine physician in Canada and was trained in the U.S. And she's, we met on social media, right? Like where else do we meet? And one, <laughs> cause that's badass that nurses are meeting other nurses mm-hmm. and physicians and yep. healthcare practitioners around the globe. So we're fucking talking to each other. <laughs> I, I knew that was like the, I was like, this is interesting. Like giant Facebook groups of nurses talking to each other. I was like, well, first that's fucking traumatizing trauma dump. Crazy. Yeah. Yes. But it's never happened before. Mm-hmm. Like you guys are bi-coastal and you guys are supporting each other and we can do this and we are doing this. So we were talking about how hard it is to share information online one, because no one's getting it and no one's like getting it. It's not like sinking in until you're in it and you see, you don't have a nurse and it's way late, way late for that. But also the fear of hurting others. And I'll just point out Marion, because you're doing such amazing work and because I want to like pour in to the work that you're doing and to you, I want you to know you are not traumatizing anyone by telling your story. Hmm. The trauma is there and it's happened or it's going to happen or you're potentially preventing from it happening. You're giving information to allow others to make autonomous, informed choices, which is absolutely Mm -hmm. our role and our favorite part of nursing. Usually we get to give this information and a variety of ways so that folks can understand it so they can make decisions for their own care and their own safety. And we need the general public to be making these decisions. It cannot just come from nurses and they do remember their care in the hospital. 
outside of the hospital, we take care of birthing folks and they remember it, in fact, for generations. And the stories they tell about their experiences last for generations. And that's how we have such scary birth stories right now mm. because we put birth in hospitals <laughs> and destroyed it, <laughs> not destroyed it, but we mismanaged it, made it dangerous. Right. And now everyone's scared of having a baby when really we really need to change that conversation to everyone should be scared to have a baby in a hospital and like advocate around that right. and make those changes. They do remember, they do remember because yeah. they're in a p- position of vulnerability, which doesn't happen very often. <clears throat> and they may not be able to be the advocate they wish they were in, the, in that place of vulnerability, or they may not be able to be their own advocate at all, like you said, but they hopefully remember. So your story will impact those little inside, little tiny feelings that people are like, you know, it didn't really line up with what I was expecting someone to be caring for me to feel like. <laughs> and we're like, yes, you're right. Dig into that. What do we do? <laughs> what can you do? Do you have money? Do you have influence? Do you have power? Do you vote? Do you whatever? Right. So I feel like this could be a book. Like I'm really excited to yes. hear stories and I'm, I'm excited to hear like just the way you talk about it, you're like, oh yeah, we're just beginning. We're just getting started, bitches. We've <laughs> talked about a book. We've talked about a book on all different levels. <laughs> so I don't know. It's definitely, we're, you know, we're collaborating on an advocacy platform called Nurses Fight Back that I hope to launch in the next couple of weeks. That's really going to walk people through all these processes and make it easier for them to figure out how to file, when to file, where to file. And Yeah. That's exactly it. That was my question. I have like National Nurses United pulled up over here. OSHA pulled up over here. ANA pulled up over here. We've got Mm -hmm. so much information, but the same for like bad behavior in, in healthcare. If there's a person who is having bad behavior and you're trying to report them and it goes nowhere because they're like, oh, thank you very much. We're going to put this in that special drawer where we tear it up and forget about it for 10 years. What I see on Sarah's platform is, oh, this is where I reported. So OSHA, NLRB, Department of Health, all at the same time. And then there's like different statute of limitations. And so you have to work quickly, but then what do you say? How do you do it? What if they delay? When do you get a lawyer? How do you get a lawyer? There's a lot that people are like, it's a lot to like do in a very short period of time. It's kind of what it sounds like. And oh my gosh. Different yeah. challenges you face when trying, you know. Yeah. I wish I had somebody to walk me through the whole OSHA process at the time. It's like you need a support group for just reporting to certain. Yeah. You need people that have successfully reported, walk you through it. And in the last couple of weeks, I have walked no less than five nurses and they've all filed reports with the NLRB. One of them actually just settled very fast with a board settlement, interestingly enough, way faster than my case was. It was interesting because you're right, people don't know how to fill out the forms and, you know, technical mistakes can cause delays and issues. And uh, that's one of the things that I wanted to walk people through because we become so tied to our story and our experience, we can't step back and tell it in a way that's constructive in a legal sense because we're too emotionally attached and we get in the weeds on things and you know just to give you an example your first complaint with the NLRB the only thing you ever have to say is I was terminated I was retaliated in the form of termination for engaging in protected concerted activity that's it that is the one sentence you have to say that is it you don't need to say anymore that alone tells them that you are aware uh, that, you know, you're claiming a charge of retaliation and that you're saying that you engaged in activity protected by federal law. You don't need to be like, he said, she said, he said, she said, and this happened. Just simply, I was retaliated for engaging in protected concerted activity. They're highly skilled, educated, field attorneys will reach out to you and then take a sworn affidavit and they know how to guide you through that process. And then that's where your story comes out. But People don't understand the process. They also don't understand if your intent is to hold a system accountable for, for, you know, my intent with Peace Health, because it's not isolated to one hospital, it spans across three states. I am in a unique position possibly to do something in a federal forum through something called diversity jurisdiction, because I'm a travel nurse from Louisiana. This happened in Alaska. They're headquartered in Washington. So I'm exploring this because I think it's important 
that we hold them accountable for every possible violation that's out there. But if you're going to do that, the way that the legal system works is it can prohibit you from doing that. If you file in one area, that then that then gets rid of an ability to file in another, even though the remedy possibly wasn't a satisfactory remedy that would deter future bad behavior. You get very engaged in the legal process quick and you learn how ultimately the entire system can fail to adequately hold these huge corporations responsible for the kind of behavior that can lead to poor patient outcomes. Mm -hmm. So very quickly, you've got to understand strategy and here you are a nurse that's been terminated, not a legal expert. You need to know that should you file with OSHA and the NLRB, you don't need an attorney for that. You don't need that. They'll be able to handle certain aspects of violations without an attorney getting involved in something. You should know that there should be carve-outs for that. You're, you have to learn all of this, and it gets very emotional because we're learning in real time, and the clock is ticking on statute of limitations. And Sarah and I go through this again and again because we're just like, wow, we're learning in real time. We learn when mistakes have been made. That, that can be costly and your pursuit to hold a system accountable and that can feel devastating because if the only thing that's keeping you together, the only thing that's keeping my shit together is that I have committed to a course of action to right a wrong that affects patients and if obstacles come up and, you know, that subvert that course, it's devastating because you're like, where do I go from here? And I can't go back to what was, you know, and you yeah. just feel that everything has failed. Yeah. Yeah, you have to reevaluate your yeah. whole reason for doing it every single time. Yeah. One of the most traumatizing things in this whole process is just realizing or coming to the realization that even, you know, even if you push this to the fullest extent, will it even affect that corporation so much to make a change? And a lot of times it isn't. And so that's defeating. It's yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. We really go down a dark hole when Sarah and I start talking about that because we've done so much legal research. Both of us have, we've pulled every possible case we can looking at similar scenarios and to see have hospitals change. And when you look at a hospital system like Peace Health, the cases just keep coming. And we're like, well, this hasn't deterred bad behavior. So when you're, for instance, when you want to go after them for a whistleblower violation, or wrongful termination in violation of public policy in a state, you know, which can make you eligible for punitive damages. And the reason why punitive damages exist is because that is a penalty assessed against an organization. And you're penalizing them with a hard financial hit in the attempt to deter future bad behavior. Because the acknowledgement of saying, oh, we terminated somebody for voicing safety concerns, slap her hand, we won't do that again, we'll post some notices, right? But with these systems that put profits before patients, it seems the only thing that ever, you know, would encourage them to change their behavior is something that affects their profits. Okay. So you get in that mindset and you're like, well, we've got to take it all the way and they've got to be hit as hard as they can because we have to send a message that ripples across the nation and that we're not going to tolerate this abusive behavior that leads to bad patient outcomes again. But how much is effective to determine bad behavior? You are restricted in every state, depending on how you file a case, depending on your actual filing, that will determine how hard a system can be hit with like a punitive damage. It's, it's insane. You know, it's just, it's insane. And <laughs> you're learning all of this in real time. Your mistakes yeah. matter for your case. So that hits yeah. the hardest and hurts the hardest. The way to make it more impactful. This is just coming from my brain. Cause this is how my brain works is to help the next million nurses yeah. do the same thing yeah. and like magnify it and multiply it. And also coming from a place of privilege, which I can't speak to all of it. You have, we as nurses come from a place of privilege. We know the inside, it's very different than patients doing this. And also like I'm thinking my kids would be at home while I'm doing all of this research. Well, I'm getting my minor in legalese on the free <laughs> World Wide Web is like, there's the, how many nurses had to go find another place of employment and not saying you guys didn't, but like, I can hear the amount of time that this is taking. How many nurses, this was their second job. They had to go find another place of employment mm -hmm. They're You know, they had to pull their kids out of childcare. They lost their childcare, blah, 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 blah. 
they lost their other place of employment. They lost their home because they were like yep. Sarah said, she was on like, what was it? You weren't terminated for three and a half months yet. It was, it was a four, like almost four month investigatory yeah. leave. Yeah. yeah there, I mean, I, I'm not here to say you have to do this. I am saying I can identify that this work is more than most folks can do for a variety of reasons, probably more than you feel like you can a lot of days. <laughs> so that's why I'm like so grateful that you found each other. Yeah. I totally understand why Sarah was like, yes, I can come call Marion. Let's call Marion. Let's come yeah. with me. <laughs> I get it. Like this is your peer counselor, right? <laughs> You've forged it together. And I feel like that would be totally necessary. And the folks who didn't have someone else, like, how is this even done? This is why it hasn't been done or hasn't been done enough to make an effect. And yeah, it sounds really, really nearly impossible. Feels impossible. It has helped so many travel nurses. Like I, because travel nurses, like right now, they are the majority in the hospital. Yeah. And she has helped so many travel nurses who have been retaliated against. And to me, that is just like, I love it. <laughs> I'm so happy that she's been able to help so many people walk through this process. Yeah. You all are part of the shift that's happening for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and not to take it from a positive note, but just further, you know, Sarah and I've tried to identify ways to create a better support and peer network because we, it's interesting, like all the experiences we've had, even with a lack of support amongst our, you know, within our own industry and people need to be, you know, prepared for every pitfall so that we can help build them up and they can continue to be a catalyst for change. And it's been difficult for us, you know, nobody knows how to do these things. And then sometimes you run into people that want to have a proprietary ownership in telling people how to do these things. So there's the race to be the best advocate that ever lived, but you have to play by their rules in order to get their support in order to even share stories. Like we have just gone through trauma after trauma after trauma in trying to get support and make people understand why they need to support nurse-led litigation and support people who are going through this to hold systems accountable. And the lack of support even amongst our peer community sometimes is some of the most traumatic. Everybody needs their guard up too. So like, you know, when you come across stories like ours, you know, I think the automatic judgment is like, oh, well, they must have done something or they must have done something to deserve it. And so it's, I think everybody just has a guard up and they're like, well, they probably did something because we don't hear about this every day. Well, you don't hear about it every day because people don't talk about it. Yeah. You just start talking about it. Yeah. I love all of this. And I love this conversation. And now I'm like, yep, that's abuse. That's the victim. That's what everyone does to the victim. Didn't you watch Johnny Depp and whatever her name is? Or, I just did it. So what am I mean to her? And everyone's like, oh my God. I'm like, shut the fuck up. Like this is domestic violence. We don't get an opinion, right? We don't get an opinion on domestic violence. Same with nurse horizontal violence. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so interested to see how you grow, <laughs> helping other nurses, winning your cases, magnifying your experience in pursuit of holding systems accountable, yeah. improving nurse work environments, improving patient safety. Yeah. I can't wait to like promote the shit out of your shit and get it done and do it together. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We are in this work. We and he he and I talk about this all the time. Pretty much everyone that I get on a Zoom call with, I'm like, hey, I'm a white lady working on my unlearning of my systems of oppression and also anti-racism work and also in my part in white supremacy and unlearning all of that. And that's what we're all trying to do parallel and together. And that whole having to win and make it profitable and make it be the first and be the best and be the only that that comes back is like, Oh my gosh, that's totally like within me and was within me and is part of it's just a pillar of white supremacy. And so you can do this without all of that nonsense. That's just the part of the noise. I just, yeah. you know, also, you know, since you bring up the white supremacy and the privilege, I mean, yeah. 
we need to do this for everyone, but especially for the minorities in nursing too, because they see the brunt of it. And it is, it's heartbreaking. Worse than we've ever seen, right? Worse than I've ever oh, yeah. seen. It's next scared. level when I look yeah. at, you know, the nurses that I work with side by side and it's, you know, their trauma, their experience, their discriminatory experiences, you know, it's, you know, and I come from hospital systems in the South and I'm not saying it's just relegated to the South, it's everywhere, but some from some particularly bad areas as rampant as like discrimination and inequality, you know, it's still there and we know it and we see it. It's crazy. So, you know, we're out there fighting against wrongful and unlawful employment practices that jeopardize patient safety at the same time, understanding there's a whole community of nurses that it affects even on an extra level, you know, it's just compounded. Where it becomes dangerous to tell their story, where it becomes threatening to tell their story. So yes, Thank you for saying that. And thank you for telling your story when that's not possible. Not that, not that we're saving anyone or doing anything that others can't do, but we don't have a, you know, life threats on our lives, or at least from the immediate get go threats to our lives, just by going to public outlets, which is what you both did initially. Yeah. And, and we see that. So if, yeah, thank you for saying that. And I think it's important that we white ladies need to be talking about that privately and publicly as <laughs> we do the work. I don't know, Marion, if you're a white lady, but I am. <laughs> I am. I'm, I'm German Irish. I'm pretty, pretty freaking white, actually. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm German Irish too. Yeah. I know, but I'm like the, I'm like the blue eyed, I'm the blue eyed blonde German Irish with like the super, super pale skin. So I'm like, you know, I have to speak out. I cannot not speak out because I have the ability to speak out without the, you know, the threat. So I'm just like, of course, I mean, yes, of course, that's my role. That's what I have to do. No choice, you know? And I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm just saying, obviously I have a moral compass, you know? (laughs) Right. And you're not doing it just, just for your one corner of the world. No, you're doing it in big, big ways so that we know it can be done. You can teach about it. You can be an advocate because people can't go through this alone. The study that I'm working, currently working on and reading and digging into and nurses found the most support in colleague support. That's what we're doing, bitches, out here on the free world, (laughs) making our own unit, try to stop us now. Oh my Um, God, Mandy, can I just address that comment you just made? And Sarah's totally going to get on board with this. One thing that Sarah and I have talked about when we talk to the press, when we talk to attorneys, there is such a gap of knowledge of the healthcare system and nurses roles in it. I have literally almost bashed my head against a wall, just trying to explain the very basic concepts that we grasp. I have like worked, I worked very hard. There's an NBC story that came out. I worked very hard in developing a relationship with them just to get them to tell that story from a nurse's perspective. You know, it was going to be shelved and we got the story you know, I was persistent and persistent and persistent and educating everyone and connecting the dots between nursing care and patient outcomes. And even when you're talking to legal counsel, it's like, okay, I'm going to get the whiteboard out and I'm going to connect this dot to this dot. And then we're going to connect this dot to that dot. And then let's look at the overall picture as to how this is affecting whole communities. And then that's when we realize people don't know what we do. They don't know what we do. And so the only real support you can get is from somebody that absolutely understands the industry, you know, and the outside world, no clue, which is pretty much how they want it, I guess, because if people really were informed and knew, we wouldn't be in these situations. Exactly. Yeah. We go in to have babies and everyone's like, no offense, but I'm like, right. Where's the doctor? Yeah. All right. Well, welcome. Welcome. This is what I do. And they're like, aren't you tired? I'm like, I'm going to. We're going to go like, I can't, (laughs) I don't get paid enough to like even do therapy here. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah. We do have to, yeah. Help others understand, but, or shortcut and be our own allies. Right. And like, we're we're built in for that. So, okay. Nurses fight back, right. We're going to be watching for that. Yes. Okay. Nurses fight back is coming. Do we contact you the way we've already like talked about snaking our way into your DMs. What can people do right now 
go follow you, learn your story. Yeah, they could, they could go follow us. I know I just tightened up all my social media just because I'm making, you know, some plans and I'm just, you know, protecting myself you know, uh, for that, but, but they can always uh, send a follow request. And then what I will do when the website and all the social media launches simultaneously for nurses fight back is I'll just like email you guys. You can always point people to it. There's going to be like a series of interactive maps. They're going to be able to click on their state, know where to file. You know, we're trying to make it as easy as possible. And then it'll be a place. We have a lot of things that we're working on that, that we hope to see. It, it'll be a, a work in progress, but at least get some immediate information and a place where people can go to file, the, to follow these cases and learn why these cases matter, you know, and how they can be supportive of them. Yeah. And you can always reach me through, you know, TikTok, of course, and in Facebook and Twitter, I'm public. I don't hide anything. So also you can email me at S-E-C-O-L-L-I-N-S-101 at gmail.com. If you have any questions about advocacy, reporting, anything like that. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for your time and your experience and your stories and your expertise. I am so honored to get to know you now. It's, it's always therapeutic to talk yeah, about. Yeah, it really is. Wow. This has been so much fun. I know that it can seem like we're like four humans that hate the hospital system and we're just like out to get them. But if you really stop and ground yourself and think about this on a bigger scale, there's so much here. There's so much unlearning. There's so much unraveling. This is the dismantling of a system that has abused everybody from top down from bottom up, left to right, and then, you know, all angles in between that. So Sarah, Marion, thank you so much for being here. Mandy, tell people where they can connect with us, where they can submit their stories and how they might be able to share their experience in the hospital system, good or bad, with us on our podcast. Drop us a line on Instagram at pulsecheck.podcast. We'll send you the quick little questionnaire and we'll have you here. We're happy to share your story anonymously or not like it was today. And go give us a like and a listen. We'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Thanks for joining us today. We wanted to leave you with a quick stat and something to think about until we see you next time. According to a 2018 report from the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, the prevalence of sexual harassment in academic medicine is almost double that of other science and engineering specialties. This presents a serious danger that ripples into patient safety, clinical outcomes, and burnout, which leads to costly loss of talent. How much safer could medicine be if nurses and physicians weren't also battling sexual harassment day in and day out? If you or anyone you know has a story to share, please contact us on Instagram at pulsecheck.podcast. We'd love to share your story.